0: Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back Behind the Velvet Rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only, Mr. Daniel Frenzisi. Hi, it's Frenzisi. Frenzisi. Okay, well, I mean, I was close, right?
1: Yeah, pretty close. Uh, RuPaul helped me tell people how to say it. It's, um, I don't have my own air conditioner, I have to use my AC.
0: That is really helpful. But you know what? I think most people like even when they do interviews with you say it wrong.
1: Um, yeah, you know, people get it. It's it's it's
0: 50 50. Because I was going to say it the correct way. And then I Googled and I listened to all these interviews to do. And I said, oh, and I have a big capital Z. So see, sometimes you do research and it actually doesn't pay off.
1: That's it. That's the truth.
0: Well, welcome. What is going on? How is your summer going? Where are you in the world today? I'm in
1: LA today. It is hot. Um, it is summery, uh, and it's going.
0: Are you like a summer person? Do you like the summer?
1: I am a water, I'm a a water person. So like, if I am in the beach and I am in the pool and I am in a water park and I am in a river, a lake, it doesn't matter. I just need to be like in a body of water. Really? I am like the happiest you'll ever see me. It could be like 300 degrees, but, um, you know, spending time in the house or doing things like running errands or whatever in the heat. It's just not my bag, baby.
0: It's not really my bag either. Well, I know one thing you're doing this summer and you are coming back East because Italian mom is coming to the stage.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited about it. This is the first fully realized play um, about Italian mom, uh, just like uh, getting her on her feet so people can see her live. And I'm very excited about it. I think it's um, funny and poignant and meaningful and uh, culturally significant for my people. I'm really excited about the whole entire thing. And I can't wait for people to see it.
0: Like, I think, you know, I am a fan of your YouTube. But for everyone who's listening who doesn't know of Italian Mom, tell us about Italian Mom and like, how did she come about? It's hilarious. Well,
1: first of all, I have an Italian mom. Her name is Denise. (laughs) She goes by Noni Didi online and she's quite the character. Her and I had a um, WoW Presents World of Wonder show together, um, Daniel Franzese and his Italian mom. But also I play her in a series of sketches called Shit Italian Mom Say. And then um, she had a little IGTV television show called Antoinette Nell's Life that was 26 episodes that aired over the last year. Um, And now also I use my stand up is like at least 40% me making fun of my mom. Um, and so uh, now we're going to see a, fi- a finally full love letter uh, realization um, of this character. I just people keep begging me to do new things with this character that I believe me. I, I mean, I have to shave. I have to do a lot of things to be Italian mom that I don't want to do. But everyone keeps asking for it. And I mean, as an entertainer, like, I mean, that's all you can really ask for is that people are responding to what you're putting out there. So my heart is full and so are my ideas, and uh, Jacques Lamar, who is a playwright, who's written several plays about Italian women, but also several incredible comedy shows for for drag queens like Varla Jean Merman. and he approached me and said, I love your character. I want to figure out a way that we could work together to develop a stage show, so it's probably something that I might not have jumped on by myself, but Jacques's brilliant, and basically, took situ- we came up with a concept for the play, but then Uh, went through all of my material, which is hours and hours and hours of material of Italian mom from TikToks to Instagram to YouTube and compiled it all together and took facts about people in that world and helped me flesh out um, a play. And it's, it's so great.
0: Are you shocked? Cause like you say, like as a performer, you know, like you create a lot of characters, some stick and don't stick. Like, are you shocked at like the response of like that people like me and just everyone, like who doesn't like Italian mom?
1: Yeah, you know, I miss my grandma and I miss a lot of those ladies. And I know that a lot of um, people who have approached me have missed them. They were like a, a, a stitch in time. It was like the immigrants who came through Ellis Island to the kids that were completely Americanized and whitewashed. Like it's the in-betweens, those like ladies that had their own little dialogue and their own little way of talking and their own little way of cliches that were translated from Italian Um like just, you know, uh and their own Italian American dialects, they're Brooklynese, where they like sort of bastardized Italian. <laughs> it's just this like special northeastern kind of lady that everybody from that area knows. Like, you don't have to be Italian to enjoy this play. If you are Jewish, Puerto Rican, Chinese, if you came from that area and you knew one of these types of people, you will love this show. And I think um Italian people are a lot like Southern people in that regard, because if you're not Southern, you've been invited to a Southern person's house and you've been treated like family and you've been overfed and loved. And if you stay long enough, you become a cousin. And it's kind of like the same thing with Italian families. Uh, if you've met an Italian mom and loved an Italian mom, she's made you feel like you were part of her life for good. So this is a love letter back to those ladies.
0: Do you think that's why, like, you look at like Jersey Shore, Real Housewives in New Jersey, even Jersey Licious, like, I mean, these shows are so popular, like people can't get enough. Sometimes. Mob Wives
1: too. I do feel That's like true. there is a lot of um, emphasis on the brash and boldness of the Italian American culture. I mean, the trashiness and the wildness um, that, 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 that is displayed in all of those different things you were talking about. But I think that um, it's few and far between that we get to see the real heart of the mom. And I think that that's what Italian moms are really famous for. They're hardworking, loving, loving, loving ladies. And I think um, that's really more what I'm trying to show with this character is sort of like um, the softness that comes through that, that abrasive personality.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Do you think, like, how do you think, like, the Italians are represented on, like, Jersey Shore, Jersey Housewives?
1: I mean, there's really not much italian representation out there that isn't um uh exploited or isn't mafia related it just doesn't really exist i guess because italian people are are passable as white that like a lot of times it's not something that um people can spot just by looking at somebody unless they are you know um completely immersed in the pop culture of it all but i think that um uh there's a certain level of me that feels a panic of losing uh cultural significance of people of these ladies you know um aging out and people not getting to know these types of people you know um and I think uh there's a certain preservation that I'm doing here I think um of this time you know a 100 years from now I don't know if these ladies will be around like this so it's kind of interesting um to record as much of it as I can now and put it out there.
0: That makes a lot of sense. What about, what does your own mom think of Italian mom? I assume she understands this lovely tribute or does she have pointers for you at night?
1: She thinks it's the greatest thing that ever lived. She thinks it's the best thing since garlic bread. She gets recognized from my impression of her. Really? So she was on the beach in Fort Lauderdale and yelling to my sister, and she's like, Diana, hand me the towel, and whatever, and um, someone's like, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but have you ever seen Shit Italian Mom Say? She was like, that's my son, she had to show her ID to prove that, because it just reminded her of my character.
0: Wow, that's like the biggest compliment to you possible.
1: Yeah, to me, out of anything I've ever done uh, in, in the entertainment industry, this is my favorite, because I feel like um, it's like a prank on my mom. Like I could, like, I don't watch Mean Girls. I don't watch like my movies that much. Sometimes I have to, I enjoy them. I think they're good things, but it's like a different experience. Um, like watching this, I could, I never tire of it because whenever it comes on, I'll watch the full thing or uh, someone tags me and it, I'll watch it because it's like, I pranked my mom and I got her. And to me, it's so funny. Um, I feel like I, I'm fortunate enough to still have my mom with me um a lot of people don't and I remember even I was on tour doing stand-up last year and like a, a makeup thing or something or a cologne thing opened up in my bag and went everywhere and as I was cleaning it I was talking out loud it was like three in the morning and I was a little stunned <laughs> but I was talking out loud and I was like I was like that's why I told you to put it in a ziplock if you would put it separate in here now go get that thing clean this part and I could hear my mom guiding me through everything and I was saying it out loud it was so weird because I was like, you know, even years from now, I could see when we're not as fortunate enough to still have my mom around that my brother and sister might call me and say, can you talk like Ma and tell me what she would say about this? Because, and I think I could. I could like stay in that character for so long. So
0: wow.
1: I shot the entire uh, Antoinette Nails Life series, which is 26 three minute episodes, all with, every, with costume changes for every episode in six hours. And it was all improvised. Wow. So to me, I'm excited to see what it's going to be like to sit in that character for an hour on an hour and a half on stage, and and develop like an arc and really build up, you know, emotion and 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 give it sort of like, I guess the full treatment that I give my other characters when I'm acting. Italian mom has always been like this side little funny gig thing, but now in a play, I'm going to be able to dedicate the same attention that I do to my other characters to this character. And I'm curious
0: to see where that's going to lead. I'll admit it as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate. Which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, three ten is celebrating a new year of goals with code Velvet Rope and giving our listeners fifty percent off, up to one hundred dollars off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. Oh my God, I have to tell you guys, The Envelope is back with more podcast episodes from the LA Times and listen, I'm so excited. Now you can hear Emmy-nominated actors and directors ahead of the big night. And you guys know I love the Grammys. I love, listen, I love it all. I love the Oscars. I love every award show, which is one of the reasons why I love listening to The Envelope, but nothing is better For me, then the Emmys, TV is everything. September 12th is the big night for the Emmys. And now you can head to the envelope and you can listen to these actors and directors ahead of the big night. So listen, some of their upcoming guests include Bill Hader, Melanie Linsky, and Coleman Domingo from Euphoria. These guys at The Envelope that are doing these interviews, they're from the LA Times. So, you know, if you think I know what I'm doing, these guys are professionals. You can download and listen to The Envelope from the LA Times wherever you get your podcasts. Catch up now because, hey, September 12th and the Emmys are just only a few weeks away. That's right. The Envelope is back with more podcast episodes from the LA Times. You know, everyone always asks me, like, how I deal with the internet trolls, like all the listeners who have something to say about the housewives and leave negative comments all day on Instagram. Listen, I have to tell you, I'm really serious when I say that the comments don't bother me at all. And the only reason why is because I've worked on my mental health. I mean, mental and physical health, there's really nothing more important. Because when you work on yourself and you have that clear mind nothing can bother you, you're comfortable, you're happy inside. And the long-term effects of therapy and working on your mental health really can help strengthen your relationships and give you a more positive outlook on life. And for my mental health, I've turned to Talkspace because listen, first of all, it's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy, but really I love that I can reach out to my therapist and get my therapy and work on myself from anywhere in the world. You don't have to wait for an appointment or go into an office. And their licensed therapists are trained to handle just a variety of specialties. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use code VELVET to get $100 off your first month. That's VELVET and Talkspace.com. And if like Mean Girls, you say you don't always watch all like, like if that's on TV and you're flipping around, do you just flip right through it and say no thanks?
1: I absolutely just flip right through it, yeah. <laughs> and not that I don't enjoy it, but I've I, you know I, I tour a lot. Sometimes I do like screenings where I talk through the movie, or I'm asked to do Q and A's or whatever. So I as, there's no shortage of me knowing what's going on in that film, or and I still like it. I still think the jokes are funny. Um, it doesn't bother me to have to sit through it, but it's not something I would just do in my
0: free time. That makes sense to me, too. Were you always into acting growing up in Brooklyn? A nice Italian boy. Was it always acting for you?
1: Yeah, my grandfather, my great grandfather, when he moved here, um, tried to through Ellis Island, tried to get um, a house on this street in Brooklyn. And they said, we don't want a greasy Italian like you on this block. And he was like, you son of a bitch, one a day, I'm going to own the whole block. And he did. He, um, he had uh, 13 children and they all bought a house on that same street. And that is the street that I was born on. So it was like my grandfather's street. So I was like the, the the oldest kind of, of my mom's generation. So all the kids who bought houses on that block, their kids who grew up on the block. I was like the first, one of the first kids. So everybody celebrated me and and you know when i learned the abcs i would go from aunt nina's uh, you know to aunt ro ro crusher street to the marchese's house all the people if you weren't i remember my family if you lived in the block you became like family unless you were out we didn't talk to you there's a few of those too but (laughs) but i would go around and i learned at a really early age that i would um entertain people if I sang a song or told a joke or knew, or knew my ABCs or something. So I, I, I got used to the fact that I could create joy from performing very, like as I was learning how to talk. So to me, I've always been an entertainer. Um, and, you know, I, in second grade I did my first commercial. And so it was like, I started getting like a, just really addicted to all that stuff. It was too much for my parents to do professionally when I was a kid because they aren't showbiz people like that, or they weren't then anyway. And so they basically like, we'll support you. You can go to classes, you can go to camps, you can do all this stuff, but uh, you're going to pursue this when you're 18, like when you're ready to do it on your own. And so that's kind of the path I took.
0: Wow. Well, prior to Mean Girls, you were in a lot of great movies, and even after, but one in particular, what was Party Monster like? Just Macaulay Culkin, Chloe Sevigny, there were so many people that were...
1: That was an intense thing because I had done the movie Bully, which was by Larry Clark. And Larry Clark is very uh, famous in the art world, it, um, even more so than maybe he is in the film world where he's very successful. But he um, is a prolific photographer. And so there was that edge of cool. It wasn't just like I was in an indie movie. I was also in this art movie. So I was getting invites to things at like, you know, um, the Whitney Museum and stuff like that because of my affiliation with him. So I went from kind of being like this outsider musical theater nerd in Florida to kind of being like an indie darling and like people inviting me to all this stuff and like liking me instantly before meeting me and stuff. So it felt so different. I mean, it still was a struggle. It wasn't all easy. But when a lot of the people that I met when I first started going out in New York City were the club kids from the remnants of the party monster murder and all of the situation that had happened there. And so uh, people would be like, oh, I love Larry Clark. Do you know about Limelight? Let me tell you this story. Have you ever heard of? And so I kept hearing the story about Michael Ellig and, and all of the stuff that had happened through friends and, and other queer art people that I was meeting. And so when they announced they were making the movie, I'm like, that's the movie about all my friends' life. Like, this is the thing that I need to be in to really kind of like let New York know I'm here, you know? And I thought, and I thought, and I, my, my agents, my managers at the time were like, there is no part for you in this movie. Like, it just doesn't exist. And they literally called the casting director, Susan Shopmaker, and they were like, um, we need to send Daniel in for this movie. We know there's no part for him, but he won't take no for an answer. Would you mind telling him no for us? Like, you know, um, and so... Susan Shotmaker met me and she liked me. And she was like, I don't, I would love to put you in this movie, but I just don't think there's anything. I'll give you the script. Take it home. If you see that there's something in here that you really think that you want to be, I'll have you audition for it. And there was nothing. It was all so small, but um, I read it to my mom and she mentioned to me, like, why don't you try to be more than one part? And I was like, oh, that's like so weird. Like, I don't know how to do that. And she's like, well, the rat is in a costume. You can't see him. And then maybe you could be something else. I'm like, great idea. And then when I went in, they asked me, they said, we want you to be the MC in Dallas. How about that? And I said, well, I kind of wanted to be the rat. And they were like, the rat? That was going to be like a PA in a costume. And I was like, well, who was going to do the voiceover? And they're like, well, you know what? We didn't even think about it. I'm like, it's the most important part of the movie. He describes the whole murder. They're like, well, how would you do it? And I was like, maybe like a New York City taxi cab driver. And I did it. And they were like, you know what? You should play both parts. And I was like, yeah. Like, so um, that was my first thing with World of Wonder and getting in with them and And, you know, I only worked a few days on that project, but Theron Smothers, it was his first producing project. Now he's the EVP of uh, talent over at World of Wonder for Drag Race and everything else. But back then he was he just kept me on set every day. He was like, come back again, hang out, come back again, hang out. So I got to really know the cast members and uh, and they were all my age. And it was so cool, especially Chloe Sevigny, who who I really looked up to because she was also discovered by Larry Clark and then had an Oscar nomination for boys don't cry. So I was like, that's a trajectory I would love to be on. And, you know, um, it was just inspiring and fun. And, uh, for as little as I'm in that movie, I've gotten so much mileage out of it. I got to go to Sundance for the first time and I got to meet all these different people. And, and I became friends with, um, a lot of the actual club kids, like rather than just knowing them as acquaintance became like good friends with like wallpaper paper. Uh, walt cassidy and a couple other people who then took me into their lives which were also fabulous because all of those people were so creative and so and so connected that when that all went down they landed in different amazing places you know they were either like special effects makeup artists like sacred or or um uh doing the costumes uh on sex in the city you know or like, like this guy, Arnie, or like they were like... Uh, or Walt, who was like a curator at like an incredible gallery in Chelsea. And so I was thrust into such a cool art environment um, from being a part of that movie. So it led to when I moved to LA after doing Mean Girls, they were the first people I called at World of Wonder because they were who I knew. And I was still closeted, but they were they're, they were so queer that whenever they had an event or something and they invited me, I felt like it was like the one time I was like able to be myself. So their Christmas parties and their uh, events and stuff, every t- everything I went to, I, it was like the kind of place I wanted to be. I didn't wanna be necessarily in like a meat market gay environment. It was nice to be about a, around a bunch of artists and creatives and meet people that way.
0: So just when I was saying to myself, what am I gonna watch during August? Because really there's nothing starting until September. Oh my God, you guys, we have an exciting announcement. Friday, August 12th on VH1, RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race is back. And this time around, nine stars are going to face off for the first time ever as show-stopping drag queens. But there's a twist. They're keeping their identities a secret from everyone. It's kind of like the mass singer meets drag race. This is like the most brilliant idea ever. That's right. They're leaving their famous personas behind to transform into completely unrecognizable drag queens. Can you even imagine, think of like your favorite celebrity. Now imagine that celebrity in drag. They might be on this season, but to take on this challenge, of course, they're going to need a little help from all of our favorite drag legends, Jujubee, Brooklyn Heights, Monet Exchange. They're going to be helping out to get all of our secret celebs in tip-top shape to compete in the ultimate lip sync showdown. And then each week, these mystery queens will perform with everything they've got to impress, All our favorite judges, Carson Kressley, who was on this very podcast here, Michelle Visage, Ross, Matthews, and of course, the one, the only RuPaul. And then each week, the eliminated queen must show their face to the world in a celebrity reveal, which, oh my God, it's going to be so shocking. And in the end, one secret celeb will be crowned the winner. Who will be America's next celebrity drag race superstar? Well, you're going to have to wait and see, but not too long. Don't miss the premiere. Mayor of RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race Friday, August 12th at 8 p.m. on VH1. I can't freaking wait. And hey, you know we're going to be talking about it on this podcast here. And so so
1: they opened their gallery, the World of Wonder Storefront Gallery, and they made me a resident curator. And I worked with them for years on that gallery too. So it was just a crazy fun arts experience being a part of that movie.
0: And which led to so much, as you say. What about, how did Mean Girls come to you? Like, how did you first get the script? Like, what was your... So Susan Shopmaker,
1: who had cast me in Party Monster, um, also cast me in, like, a Verizon commercial at the time. Um, She was doing the New York casting for Mean Girls, and they were desperately looking for a Damien. Um, They had searched all over. They had found one person who they thought might be it, um, but the rumor was that he, he might be too old. So... He wore makeup to an audition, and I know him, he's my friend, but he wore makeup to an audition, and then, like, as he got nervous and sweaty, it, it was a white shirt, all his makeup came down, and they were like, no, 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 this is not right. And so they kept looking, and I got called in by Susan Shopmaker for it. I read for it. It was okay, I think. And then um, I was waiting in the lobby for a callback, and Tina Fey was there, and so it was Amanda Se- Seyfried. And Amanda, she was talking about doing her callback and deciding whether to wear a maroon shirt or a tan shirt because she didn't know what color the background was going to be she was filming on. And I leaned in and I was like, I'd go with the Merlot, you know, and Tina whipped around and I was like, hello. And I was like, I just want to say, I love what you're doing for women in comedy. She was like, thank you. And we had a little kiki. It was cute. And then when I came in to audition, she was like, you, I thought you worked here. I had no idea that you were auditioning. Now I'm excited. Let's go. And. So that was a great way to enter. And, you know, according to the E-True Hollywood story, my audition wasn't that great, but they really liked me. So I didn't get the part yet. And a month or so went by and I kind of like forgot about it as you do. And then they called on a Sunday and they're like, Monday morning, we want to fly him to LA. He's going to have dinner with Lauren Michaels, Tina Fey, and the whole cast. Um, And then the next day he's going to go on the Paramount lot and he's going to do the table read. They're like, but he doesn't have the part yet. So I was like, ah! You know, so I flew out to Los Angeles, stayed at this really nice hotel, got picked up in a limousine with Rachel McAdams and Amanda Seyfried, got thrown, you know, drove, driven through the gates of Paramount, sat down at a table where all, some of the uh, other, like Coach Carr, who was like a Toronto local hire, was Kevin Nealon in the table read, it was like other SNL people, I was like flipping out, I didn't know who was in the cast, who wasn't, you know, Tim Meadows was there, it was like, who are these people, like, you know what I mean, it was just like so exciting and um, I knew I still didn't have the part yet because somebody there thought that I was too old. So I um, I just acted as young as possible. I shaved as close as I could. I sat upright. I smiled at everyone in the room and I just nailed all my lines. And, um, you know, then a week later, they called me to tell me that I got the part.
0: Wow. So were you like okay this is it you know what I mean like was there the buzz around yeah. the movie I mean of course it's Tita Faye but was there that buzz of like this could be huge
1: oh well, when I first got bullied I was like this is it you know and then I got Party Monster and I was like this is it and then I got Mean Girls and I was like this is it and I, you know I keep this as it it <laughs> but um but Mean Girls um I definitely it was my first studio film it was a real paycheck it was I paid off my student loans at that movie and bought my first laptop. It was like, kind of like, wow, like things that I didn't think were really in reach at that time. And, you know, I had done this movie Stateside that was coming out and starring Rachel Lee Cook. And so I was staying at her house when I was auditioning. Um, And I felt like, Oh my God, I'm staying at Rachel Lee Cook's house. I'm like, you know, Rachel's now been my friend for like 20 something years, but at the time it was still a new friendship. And I was like, how the hell am I at the girl from she's all that's house? While I'm waiting to be in this movie with the SNL people. And like, I was just like, my mind's going to blow. Like, I can't believe it. Uh, But, um, you know, it was an exciting whirlwind.
0: Was the other Damien anyone that we know? The one whose makeup was coming off? Is that like some famous actor that now we all know?
1: He's notable. I wouldn't, honestly, there was another guy who was playing Aaron Samuels, who everyone would know as well. And I was so fighting for my role. And he was wearing a beard and he like had like a Starbucks and a hat really low. And the casting director came over twice, Marcy Lurp, and she was like, You should take your hat off and sit up straight. And he was like, I'm good, I'm good. And like he ended up getting fired because I was so on fire that I think and fighting for my role while he was just kind of casually chilling, you know? Um, that's the more interesting recast, I would say, but like. Uh, I would never name either of them because it will just be everywhere in all the newspapers and nobody needs that kind of thing. You know, they'll tell it themselves if they want to save it for their own books.
0: Right. Totally. Like, especially <laughs> if the, the fire person is someone we know, yes, that will probably be everywhere because we know how that works. Well, you know, you weren't, you didn't come out to like 10 years after. So when you were, you know, fighting for this role, was it like, I have to get this or was part of you like, I'm, nervous, like you know, I'm not gay. I'm playing you know, he's Damien's all very flamboyant yes. All, all
1: right. of it, but there was no part of me that didn't want the movie. Like at, I was like, yeah, it's a gay character. I was like, but I saw how progressive Damien was. How how progressive the character was written. Like he wasn't, you know, pushed in the locker, or his head wasn't dunked in the toilet. Nobody called him, you know, um, any kind of slurs. You know, he was they did say he was too good a function, but they were saying something bad about everyone. And actually the fact that he was in the burn book was actually inclusion. He's the only guy in the burn book. So it was kind of like, I felt like, you know, it did seem so progressive. So no part of me was like, should I, it was more like, wow, this is so well done. And if I don't do it, somebody else could mess this up. So I know how to do this. So I was like, so this is my job. You know, I wanted it more than anything.
0: And were you also, because right, because like it could be, you know, we're in a different place in Hollywood then, like I might be stereotyped for this role, but was it also like, wait, someone might out me, they might figure this out, that, that was looming as well?
1: Maybe a little bit, but I feel more so, like, it's funny because like, I was um, out, but not really out, like I used to tell people I was straight unless I wanted to date them, and I used to work as a bouncer at all the gay clubs instead of going to them. And I just sort of, like, I found my way to sort of navigate it. Like, in New York, you're so free to be you that if you tell someone you're something else, they just believe you. So it wasn't like, if you're in New York and you're like, I'm a ballerina, it's not like L.A. Like, in New York, if you're a ballerina, you're a freaking ballerina. Because you can't stay in New York unless you are what you are. Or within two, three years, New York will just spit you out on the side of the road in Jersey. So it's like, you have to, like, literally like be the thing you say you are so people took took me for my word you know um and I worked as bouncer and I did everything else but I um so I didn't think I was gonna have like a lot of people like rap me out or whatever you know but I was it's not that I was ashamed of being gay I loved being gay I would hold a guy's hand in the street and things like that like I just wanted to work I, I wasn't embarrassed of who I was I had already dealt with all of that through conversion therapy and everything so I was very fine with being gay I loved being gay I just felt like why can't I, I can't be gay at this job, you know? And it was just like, and, and I had bigger fish to fry. I was worried about buying my mom a house and getting myself in order and doing all these things, you know? Um, but, uh, but I, I I was like, if somebody asks if I'm gay, I'm just going to say no. And, And then it came to this thing where like, I would test it out. And someone would be like, are you gay? And they'd be like, no. And they're like, oh my God, you're so talented. I can't believe you did it so well. You play that so well. Like, And I'd be like, thank you. Or if they'd be like, are you gay? And they'd be like, yeah. They'd be like, I knew it. Only I knew it. A straight guy couldn't do that. And it was like, not like, oh, your comedic timing was great. It almost seemed like I was more impressive as an actor for playing Damien. And I felt like Damien wasn't really who I was. That's what maybe who I was maybe younger. But I was like, I am playing somebody and people are just taking for granted that just because I'm gay that I'm able to do this, you know, and it felt like it was diminishing what I was capable of. And so after Mean Girls, um, I didn't want too much to do with it. Like I was trying to stay away from it. I I didn't do articles about it and I didn't talk about it at all. And um, I probably missed out on a lot of opportunity, you know, and anything that came through that was gay for a while, I would turn down because, I started getting blacklisted a little bit. It was like, um, I was meeting a gay glass ceiling because people were like, oh, he's so talented, but this isn't a flamboyant gay character. So let's not even waste his time. And he, I wouldn't even get the audition for things that normally I'd be getting, I'd be booking, you know? So it kind of like, it it, it made things frustrating. It made me choose roles that I probably wouldn't have choose. Like I spit in a grave where I play like Louisiana backwoods rapist like that's probably something that I might not want it on my resume really but it was so encouraging to try something that like god like what could I do that's so different than Damien to show people that I have range or the ability to do something and even as hard as that role was I turned it down three times and they kept pursuing me and like I was just like you know what I'm just gonna do it like there was choices I made that maybe I wouldn't have made if I didn't um you know uh I feel like I had to prove something all the time
0: did you turn anything down that's now like, oh, my God, that's such a huge role? You know, like,
1: yeah, I've definitely turned down more money than I made. <laughs> I mean, I look at some things and I don't want to point necessarily them out, but I remember reading a few things and reading scripts and being like, what? Well, like, one of them was like, I don't even know what the movie characters ended up being like, but how I read them was different maybe than they were filmed because I didn't see these movies, but <clears throat> There was a role in Sleepover where I was supposed to like like walk around in heels and I was like, I don't want to do that. And then there was like a role in um, Nanny Diaries where I was supposed to wear like a feather boa and like eye mascara. And it was almost like a non-binary character, but didn't have a name for it. So they were just calling it gay and it didn't make sense. Like something about it just wasn't like, didn't make sense, didn't click for me. And um, then there was one I really regret um, was I really wanted to play Ugly Betty's boyfriend on Ugly Betty it was like a Italian sandwich making guy and I'm like come on like this is perfect like and I try, I worked on it so hard and I didn't even get like the first two lines of my audition out and the casting director was gay and he was like no honey I have something else for you and the way he said it calling me honey and everything it just felt like oh and then he called me in for a gay part and I'm like I don't want to go in on it just forget it I don't want to go in on it and then it ended up being the role of Michael Yuri's boyfriend which was this really amazing progressive role where the guy I mean it was about body positivity and and one of the writers on the show actually worked for the World of Wonder Gallery so I was like oh that's like it was so much like me that I was like man that's one that I wish I would have done you know David Blue did it he did a great job but I that was something where I was like oh man I should have went in on that like there's a few of them that I missed out on but um most of them weren't being written back then You know, it wasn't even being written. And if it was, it wasn't written as somebody uh, who was also a guy of size. So it's like, I I probably didn't miss that on too much. But I felt like Damien was so progressive that, and so ahead of his time, that anything that was below that, I couldn't do. If something was ahead of it, I had no problem. And I did audition for a lot of gay things that were ahead of that, that were progressive, that were forward moving. But if I felt like something was like, diminishing the movement, especially around the time of Prop 8, I just couldn't do it.
0: That makes a lot of sense, because Damien was so progressive, and right, I mean, the Ugly Betty, that was a great role, but yes, I, I see what you're saying.
1: I mean, I regret that constantly, I mean, if I, you know what I mean, like, when I think about it, but the way I, you know, it's actually kind of sad, because the way I was handled by gay casting directors, like, I felt like it was more the gay and the lesbian casting directors that were, that were spooking me, and sniffing me out and then treating me a certain kind of way you know um it was frustrating
0: what about you mentioned conversion therapy talk to me for a minute about that because i know you recently came out and you did that article and i read it like just and this is just my curiosity like the day, because you know i mean i'm gay like the day-to-day of conversion therapy like what is that because people's minds go you don't meet someone every day who's been through conversion therapy
1: well, mine was like a, tw- like a, it was two or three times a week therapy and it was confusing, I guess is the word that I would use. Like I, I just wanted like a diagnosis. I didn't feel like I belonged in the gay lexicon. You know, I was like, I'm gay. And that's why I've always felt like I didn't belong in this world. Now I'm going to walk into a gay club and then everyone gives me the side eye. Cause I'm chubby. And I can't figure it out. I'm like, why don't the gay people like me? I'm supposed to be having tons of sex. I'm supposed to be like enjoying my life and living free right now. Maybe finding a boyfriend and none of these people want that. And it's like, I didn't understand gay culture and I didn't understand like why I wasn't belonging. And I'm like, maybe I'm not fully gay, you know? And I think that when I grew up, I was definitely bi-romantic, but homosexual because the women that I loved, I really loved those women. I, I gave them everything I could give them, but it would stop at the sexuality. And so to me, um, I, that's, that was confusing for me too, because I couldn't understand how I could love this girl, but then I can't sleep with her. And I, I didn't understand how complicated and fluid sexuality and gender is, like we're all we're learning now. You know, it, it was a time where like, they had to have the, a term just so straight sure, guys could take a shower called metrosexual. Like it wasn't even... We weren't even into our sexualities yet. And we were trying to just say it's okay to like shave your balls. Like you know what I mean? Like it just became like this thing where I was I, I was that it was a very weird period of time. You know, and then there was all this homoeroticism, you know. I grew up in a time in the 80s where like Bill and Ted were like kissing each other and then going, Fag, you know, like and like all this other stuff. Um, Eddie Murphy was doing full sets about how he didn't want his girlfriend to have a A gay friend because he might have AIDS like that's the kind of time that I grew up and then the precursor after the all the what came after that was like the dude wears my car kind of like let's make out but it's okay but it's like not weird kind of thing and I think that like it was also curious I just didn't know where I fit I just didn't know I didn't really understand where I fit in you know so conversion therapy to me was like if I go here somebody at least say you're gay you know and that's what I needed like with someone just to like diagnose me. And they kept saying, you're not gay. You're having gay thoughts and gay feelings. And I was like, yes, I am. And they're like, but you're not gay. Don't you feel like you're not gay? I'm like, I do feel like I'm not gay. Like, it was was just a mindfuck. Like, and I couldn't really um, figure it out. I mean, that's what they do. They confuse you. They alienate you from your allies and, you know, they confuse you. And so that's sort of what happened to me.
0: And there was no like, I mean, physical element, because, you know, you've seen movies like from the old days, you have no, but, my,
1: but it's not even from the old days, you know, um, uh, a colleague of mine, Sam had electric shock treatment, my co host on my podcast, Yash Jesus, we have a podcast about it, about conversion therapy and about um, Christianity and, and queer people. Um, he got exercised for three hours after church every Sunday, his whole teen years, Like a lot of different things happen to different people, you know, and it's completely ungoverned and completely archaic and barbaric. And there's just no real way to judge what it was. For me, it was psychotherapy. It was just like tons of like psychobabble, just like throwing at me all the time. I had to take written tests and the like personality kind of quizzes that like were revealing information to the therapist that I forgot I revealed because I was taking an exhausting three hour test And then they'd be like one question. They'd be like, I want to ask you about question number 27. And you'd be like, huh, what's that? Like, you know, and they would be like, have you ever stolen anything over $500? Or um, have you ever uh, contemplated suicide? Do you think penises are pretty? It was just like, every third one was like something about being gay. And I was like, this is weird. Like, I mean, I'm I'm a smart guy. So I even as confused as I was, I had a lot of red flags popping up all the time. You know, I was young, and even confused. But I still was like There's something fishy here and I couldn't pinpoint it, you know, but I knew that my therapist was gay and Christian and he was going to help me find out if I was gay. But then when he told me he had a wife and kids and he used to be gay, I was like, wait a minute. You can't, what are you talking about? And I was like, Oh, I realized what this is. And I just got the hell out of there.
0: That, that was it. That was like the final it was that straw. part.
1: Yeah. It was like the last straw basically. I mean, it's vulgar, but I love saying it because it. it he had to say it this way to probably get through my head but i he said what are you afraid of and i was crying and i was like i don't want to go to hell he's like you're not going to hell and i'm like i'm not he's like no he's like you could be sucking a dick and the second coming of christ could happen and it won't matter if you believe in god and then you're going to go to heaven like if you if you're a good person you're going to go to heaven it doesn't matter what you do and i'm like it doesn't and he was like no and i'm like mm, got to go and then i went and lost my virginity that night online <laughs> like
0: That, that, right. You're like, this isn't working. So let's try this other.
1: Yeah. You know, and, um, I don't really recommend doing it that way. I wish I would have had like a boyfriend, like now the kids get to do, you know, and like hold hands for like a week and figure out what's going on. But, um, everyone's journey is everyone's journey and I made it out of it. So that's what I'm grateful for. And now, you know, I'm dedicating a huge part of my life. So other people don't have to go
0: through it. That's right. That's great. And your podcast is great. And yes, the kids today do get to have a boyfriend at a ridiculously early age. I did not get that either. So I feel you on that. What about, what was just going back to Mean Girls for a second? What was just the best thing about that experience? I mean, it was such (laughs) a, I mean, like, what was it like working like with Lindsay Lohan?
1: I think the best thing about that experience was making Amy Poehler laugh. (laughs) Like, God, I felt like I saw God when I made Amy Poehler laugh. Like I, or like just, um like being treated like an actual movie star, even, I don't even know if I've ever been treated as good since, like just, they treated us so good on that movie. Like, you know, um, the level of just first class was just like unparalleled, even to this day in my career, it was just so nice. They picked you up, they carried your luggage for you. You, It was like all this crazy, like everything was done. Like, and we, we always get all these gifts all the time. They gave us like, uh, like, an iPod when it first came out, it was like the big thing. We all got one and like, you know, um, they took us to roots and we had shop- were able to have a shopping spree of whatever we wanted. We got to go see Chris Rock and meet him backstage and we got to go see Coldplay. And they took us to all these great things and they were just so good to us and such nice people to work for and with. Um, it was just like a really good experience, I thought.
0: What did you do to make Amy Poehler laugh, do you remember?
1: um just whatever just acting stupid all the time yeah uh there was like a story that i told her that the um uh one of the sound guys on mean girls was also a sound guy on titanic and uh somebody spiked the clam chowder on titanic with lsd at lunch one time and the whole entire crew started tripping and he was telling me this story and he said that you know there was so like the UPM got up at lunch and was like, okay, everybody, everyone who doesn't feel good, go to this side of the room and everyone who feels good, go to this side of the room. And then like the room got up and like divided into, and then slowly people from the, I, f- I don't feel good side started to trickle over to, or from the, I feel good side started to trickle over to the, I don't feel good side. And they just rushed everyone to the emergency room in the hospital. And they were on gurneys and wheelchairs and filling up all the rooms and the waiting rooms. There's just too many people. And there's really nothing you could do to treat LSD. So my friend's sitting there on a gurney and he turns to the side and Bill Paxton's there. And he turns to him and he goes, just ride it out, man. Just ride it out. bro." <laughs> like, and so uh, I later on talked to Bill Paxton uh, and got that story confirmed to be absolutely true. But at the time I had just heard it and I was telling it to Amy making her laugh. And um, it was just fun. I mean, it's just fun to be around them.
0: That is, I mean, listen, making Amy Pauler laugh. I mean, come on. What was it like working with, Lindsay Lohan.
1: Um, you know, for me, I was 26 when I made the movie, and she was 15, and I didn't really know her movies, so she it wasn't like, I wasn't starstruck around her or whatever, anything like that. So, um, and she, you know, since she was young, she was still a teenager, she still had to go to school. So it's like, we'd film a scene, and then she'd leave and go to school, and sometimes we would go out at night, but again, I'm like hanging at the club with like a bouncer and a 16-year-old, you know, it's like... <laughs> it was cool but I get uh, now like as an adult like we dig each other so much more and there's so much more friendship and fun things that we've done now but I think that like back then it was it was a cool experience we were just all kind of like wow we're on this ride together you know
0: absolutely and that makes sense and she just got married so that's you know yeah
1: she looks very healthy and happy and I'm very happy for her
0: do you keep in touch with like the cast I mean girls
1: I do when I can it's difficult you know we're all doing different things um you know uh Hollywood's very weird like that you become really close with people and then you just don't talk for until you run into each other <laughs> it's kind of like uh, a lot of Hollywood's like that and then there's like not really like a fear of never talking to those people again even if you don't see them for four or five years you end up working on something or having a call or whatever but I think um With the exception of just a few cast members, I think most of us have kept in contact.
0: That makes sense. Even when I first started this podcast, I would have guests on. It would be so great. And I would follow up and DM. And and then it's like, that's just not how it works. And then you're like, you come back on. You have a really authentic experience. It's kind of the same thing, just as a movie. It's drawn out and much more high end. And like, it goes on. Well, you know,
1: it's actually weird. And I think that I had to learn a lesson. And I when I talk to colleges, I try to tell, like, especially when I do like a master class at like an acting class, like, um, actors, our emotions are so right here, you know, and they tell us, Oh, you guys are going to play best friends, or you guys are going to play brother and sister or whatever, or you're going to be boyfriends or girlfriends and you got to get really close, really fast. And the, so you go out to dinner and you, you sit up on at the hotel and, you know, you tell your deepest, darkest secrets and you become really close really fast because that's the game. That's what you're trying to do to make the relationships translate on screen. So it's intense to spend two and a half months with somebody or, or more and get to know them every single day and become like best friends and have different kinds of relationships that are just within the movie. Oh, that makeup artist annoys me. Oh my God, don't you just love Sally, the catering girl or whatever? And, like, you have these experiences, these shared experiences, and then it's all over, and you say goodbye, and maybe you kind of have a little bit of a stronger friendship until the premiere, because you know that you have that experience coming up, so you're checking in with each other, or whatever, and then at the premiere, everyone's dressed up, it gives you this graduation high school moment, where you're just like, oh my god, like, it's so bittersweet, and you're hugging each other, and you don't look like your character anymore, we were seeing each other in the same clothes for two months, every day, you know, and then it's like, you know, especially like if the movie takes place in like one night, like I've done movies like that where you're in the same outfit every day for two months. And so then you're like, Oh, this is your style. And this is how you dress. And this is what, this is who you are, you know, and you meet them on that level and then you separate and go your same ways. And then, you know, the golden globes, you're like, Holy shit or whatever. And you run into each other and it's like, but if you're anyone, and I'm paraphrasing somebody else here who was talking and I'm trying to remember, Exactly who said it, but another actor said this one time and I was like, man, it's so true. He was like, if you're anyone worth your salt in this business, you're working on so many different projects at once that you're literally too busy to have friends. And the only friends that you're allowed to have are the people that you see at these same functions and these same house parties and this one's birthday. And so there is a social element to Hollywood where you have to constantly like stay in good with like a certain crowd or go to these things. And I've given up on that. I've really given up on that because I feel like I'm not a hot Hollywood girl. Do you know, like in going to these things, it really doesn't serve me in that same kind of way. And if I'm not actually having fun at some of these things, like I hang out with a lot of my, my stand up comedy friends who have become like some of the best friends I've ever had. Like, I think that I laugh with them. I do things with them. Like, and it's a different vibe to me than, ho- than the actors in Hollywood and how they portray themselves and how they all have to like top themselves. I mean, I, I remember when a, a famous actor died and someone who was really close to that actor was like you should have seen how much my imdb number went up and i was like there's just like a weird like weird people in this town and i'm like not like that i you know i've always been like too close to god and like too centered like my mother would kick my freaking ass if i ever became a person like that i just feel too real and too I have real beat into my head by my mother with the back of a wooden spoon, maybe. But I just feel too real to subscribe to a lot of that stuff. So friendships are difficult to maintain in this town. It's a difficult thing. I mean, I remember thinking somebody was like a really good friend of mine. And I think when people become really successful, they go through the looking glass. And I'm the type of person, like in Alice in Wonderland and then Alice in the Looking Glass, Alice goes in and out again. So I'm more of an Alice. I can go in and I can go out. But some people are the Mad Hatter. They freaking live there on the other side of the looking glass and I've watched people like you know go in and to never see them again and then like you end up at something like the Emmys or the Golden Globes or something and then everyone's there right that's like literally a party at the Queen of Hearts house like the whole cast of Alice in Wonderland's at one of those things so when you show up to those things, MTV Movie Awards, what have you, and you see all these people, they're like, "Oh my god!" And I remember not seeing someone for five years that I considered really close, that I'd been through adventures with or whatever, that walked out of a bathroom as I walked into one, and was like, "Daniel Franzese, what a good sighting!" and then walked away. I'm like, "No hello, no how you been?" Like, and me, I'm Italian. I want to be like, "Baby, like I'm like in love with these people." I think when I was young, I became like a real friend to all these people, thinking like. These are real relationships I'm fostering. Your daughter is born. My mom's going to knit you a blanket kind of thing. Like, and I got really close to these people. I was thinking I was developing like these real relationships with people. And at the end of the day, it's not. Then I had to reconcile with like, am I going to be upset about that? Or like, am I going to be mad? Like, what do these people owe me? They don't have to be my best friend. And then I realized they're not, they're my colleagues. And this town's all my colleagues, my best friend is Sharon, who is my friend since I'm 17 years old and we went to college together. Like, that's my real friend. That's somebody who I'll always count on, who was always there. And if a year went by that I was too busy that I didn't pick up the phone to talk to her, shame on me. And that's what I think it's hard for a lot of people coming into this town to realize. And so I'll get a show and I'll get an Emmy nomination and all of those sighting kind of people will all call me and invite me to their birthday parties again and I'll go. Because they're my colleagues they're not my friends
0: totally I totally agree with every single thing you just said I talk about the concepts of fame on this how this all works but sadly a lot of people don't even get there you know and I'm not looking down on them I'm just saying like they never figure that out I-, I agree with everything you just said
1: well some people don't walk through the looking glass so they don't know what it's like over there and then some people don't it's a very real distinction um and I see it happening to me like When I'm currently a series regular on a television show like I've been, or I'm currently filming a movie or have a big project coming out or something, there's a different thing that I have to do. Like when a person gets an Oscar nomination, they say that it's like death to a marriage a lot of the time because... You have to wear a different outfit. You're constantly focused on what that outfit's going to be. You're campaigning for the the award. You don't just get to, like, sit back and accept the award like Monique did and got a lot of flack for for a million years because she didn't feel like coming up with a different outfit and showing up to all these things that Lee Daniels wanted her to show up to. I actually, even though Monique, in that situation, I thought, whatever, I don't know, comment on her situation, but I think that, like, I, I understood that because I was like, I, like, I've been with girls who have been friends of mine who have gotten nominations for things and I've had to do that old Watusi and I've been there and that's where I've met Harvey Weinstein and that's where I've met these people is while they had to meet them you know because I was always like the, fr- the gay friend and when I was young and I, I don't to see what they have to go through and like what you have to do to showboat when your work should just be able to speak for itself it's really frustrating it's a hard life so you can't call your friend and you won't make the birthday party and you won't be able to go to the cousin's wedding and you won't be able to and people go oh he's changed He couldn't even come to my wedding or he couldn't even call me on my birthday but you're too busy trying to figure out all these things that you have to figure out to 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 get you know to give you this rule book and it's not applicable anywhere in the real world except for in the looking glass
0: I agree with that too. Do you notice it from like a dating point of view too? Like after Mean Girls, like you say, like when you went to the gay clubs and no one was looking at you and you're like, what's, what's going on? I would imagine, Oh, Mean Girls, the hot, you know, movie of the decade, I guess. I mean, it lasts forever, but
1: I was in the closet during all that time. And, you know, basically for 15 years, I just had three long-term boyfriends. Like that's how I got out of it. I was like, I'm going to get a boyfriend fall in love and then I don't have to date I don't have to go to a gay club they don't want to go to a gay club why they why go to a gay club why you know and so I always had boyfriends who had girlfriends and then we would go with the girlfriends to the straight club yeah seemed fine to me and honestly like I feel like in Hollywood I don't even know when I'm talking about this stuff on a podcast but like honestly like in Hollywood I felt like gays are weird because you, you would meet them in a club and they'd be like, oh my God, you're Damien for me, girls, you're Daniel. I'd be like, yeah, they're like, oh, I'm such a fan of yours. Your role was so incredible. It just like opened up everything for you. Thank you so much. Can I have a picture? Would you mind? No, no problem. And then you take a photo with them and literally two weeks later, you're in like, target and they're like hey bitch and they're like pushing you and you're like what the fuck they're like I know her I don't even bother her. and you're like you don't know me like the first interaction is always like a beautiful fan moment and the second one's like I know you my whole life and I could push you and touch you and grab you and exploit you and interrupt your meal or whatever like so I'd rather save the first reaction as long as I can and not run into people you know and like then the first reaction a nice one I don't need to make a million friends. Like when I worked in clubs, I knew everyone in New York city. I don't want that life anymore. Like I want to scale down who I know to the people that I want to be around that, you know, um, uh, enrich my life.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me too. What about like a mean girls reboot? I mean, everyone like including Lindsay Lohan. I would
1: love it. I would absolutely love it. I I would do it in any form whatsoever. This movie brings people so much joy. So I lean into it. Damien, is it on a different level than a lot of the other characters in the movie one he's like the least problematic character over time like that's like when you think about it like you know the teachers in her bra the principal's hitting on her the you know the other teachers like sleeping with the students the one girl's doing like psycho revenge planning you know the other one's like lying and having two sides like the other one's a manipulative bitch it's like who like damien's just like hanging out in the bathroom like i have to go to choir <laughs> like you know what I mean like so that's one thing but I think for a lot of people in America especially Damien was the first time that they saw a gay and you could kind of tell it was really gay even if I didn't say it but like a gay chubby teen just kind of being comfortable in his skin and like never worrying, like Damien didn't cry in the movie and he wasn't sad and he wasn't like, I can't go. There was none of that stuff. It was, Damien was like, huh, what's next? What are we doing now? I can't, I do the morning announcements and I'm really busy with the choir and I'm on the homecoming committee. And I'm like, he had a whole life outside of that story where all these people's lives were like each other and trying to destroy each other. And Damien was a whole life, I mean, girls, we don't even know about where he's like, he's a part of all these committees and he's doing things and he's like comfortable, and he dressed nice. He he probably would have been a plastic if he was a girl, like because he got he loved the hierarchy of it all, but he was above it. I feel like it's such a great character. But for so many young gay kids, especially chubby kids or POC kids or anyone who just felt like other or different or wasn't sitting at the cool white table, I feel like for them, Damien was something that was like, wow, like that's kind of like me. Like I'm that one. Like, and he's the best, they're the best out of everything. The art freak table is where I'd rather sit you know, I'd rather, you know, like it just made more sense, like, and I had a lot of grown men start crying to me, it took like six years, it took a while for the movie to be old, you know, for people, and I tell this story all the time, and if anyone's ever heard any other interview with me, I'm apologizing for reading it again, but it's such a defining moment in my life, but I got a fan letter from someone at the 10th year anniversary who said, you know, um, I don't know if you're gay or not, and it doesn't matter, but when I was in eighth grade, I was tortured for being chubby and beat up for being a sissy. And then your movie came out. And in ninth grade, on the first day of my freshman year, the popular senior girl said, you're like Damien, come sit with us. And he was like, thank you for giving me something in media that I could point to and say, that's me. And I got a letter from a girl in uh, Texas who was like, my best friend's game. He's never been allowed over. And now my mom loves Damien. So he's over for dinner and he sleeps over and everything. And just thank you. Like I said, please sit at that table for that guy. And then recently, uh, like Asad Yukob is this really great uh, director who grew up in Dubai. He directed Trixie Mattel's latest video and he directed, he directs a lot of the music videos uh, for, for um, a lot of the queer um, uh, artists that are out there. Jordy's new music video he directed. And he came up to me holding the Queer Tea that he won at the Queer Tea Awards and he was like in tears at the party just telling me, he's like, you don't realize that because Damien never said I'm gay, he made it through censors in Dubai. And it was the only gay person I ever saw on in cinema. Like you're literally the reason that I said I could go to America. Like, and that happened in Asia and Africa and India and all these places where gay gets cut out. They're making a big deal about Lightyear, about like a same sex kiss right now. That stuff gets cut out or becomes a big deal. But Damien was like, What are you talking about? I'm not gay when they said too gay to function or whatever. And just because of that, he was allowed through. And Damien never came out in the script, but I ad libbed one line where uh, she goes, Look, I'm partial. Um, she goes, I'm a, I'm a queen. And, and he goes, As am I. And I think as am I, and since it was the end of the movie, was my way of outing Damien. And I think that that resonated with the people who I was trying to make hear it. The censors weren't listening, but the chubby gay teens, they fucking hang on every word. I was looking around for any word from a conversion therapist, from a parent, from a friend, from just somebody from every television show I ever saw. I watched all the weird stuff. That's why I'm a fan of the weird stuff. I watched USA Up All Night and John Waters and, and, um, and just anything, Gregor Rocky, like anything I could watch that would have a, an assemblance of queerness because I was hungry for just somebody saying it's okay. And Damien said that on such a large global scale that I wasn't even ready for. I mean, I've just been figuring it out this year that like how much social impact that character had. And so to me, to do a part two, three, four, five, I love it. I would do Damien the Animated Series. I don't care. Like, whatever, like, I I just, they just don't want to do it for whatever reason, you know? I'm so into it. I mean, I want to do a whole movie with the whole cast. We all play different characters. People would love that. You know, Tina Fey's got that power, and she ain't pulling the trigger, so I don't know who else could do it. Um, I
0: think that's, like, when Ali Sheedy was here, and she was like, I would never do another Breakfast Club. I was like, would you do another movie with all the people that were in the Breakfast Club? I think that's such a great idea.
1: I mean, they did that anyway. That's what John Hughes did, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I w- it would have been great if, if Tina kept writing movies for all of us, like if all of us were in Baby Daddy or whatever. But I can't put that all on her, you know? Um, Do I've you think trying- it would
0: ever happen, though? I've
1: been trying, the- trying to write something now that has all of us in it, just because to me, that just seems like so much fun. And I know how much joy. I've kind of, like, progressed. So, like, my dream was to be, like, this famous actor that everybody knew. And pretty much, even if you don't know how to pronounce my name... If you go, oh, the guy from Mean Girls, people know me. So I've accomplished that so early on. What's the next dream, right? Like, what's really the next goal? Like, yeah, I want an Oscar or something. I love all those awards. And I think it's so cool. Oh my God, I would be so touched and honored if everybody, if a group of my peers all said that I was the best that year or something. Like, I could see where that would feel really good. But it seems like a really selfish goal to like live my whole life based off of at this point. I don't even watch the Oscars. So it's like, I kind of feel like, that's not what i want even though i would love it like i want to just be like a purveyor of joy when i see the look on 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 a 15 year old girl's face when the family gives her a cameo of me like or when i see like um the way the time mom acts the same way when i do a time mom cameo and they show it's like a, a nana and she's like freaking out over it or like when i do But I walk out to my colleges and they're screaming and they're like dressed like me and they're holding like fat heads of me and they're like going nuts. Like, it's just like, oh, these people like love this shit. I'll stay at that meet and greet and meet every single person at those colleges for free. And honestly, I've even like risked COVID doing it at some points of the past few years because it brings people so much joy. It's like really what we need. And I'm like guaranteed to like bring joy almost. It's like, what a gift God has given me to be able to be someone that's known for that, you know? And um, nostalgia is one of the greatest things in the world for people with trauma. I know it from my own trauma. I know it from people I love's trauma because nostalgia is packaged in a sweet little package. that's already sealed and closed. So if you have a good joyous feeling over mean girls, no one could take that away from you. Like no matter how much abuse you've been through or whatever you're going to go through that package is still a sweet one. So it's like, the way things are triggers, it's like a glimmer for a lot of people. They can, like, plug into Mean Girls and get a glimmer of happiness. And and they're like, oh, you know, I've had letters that are like, me and my brother do not get along. We do not see eye to eye on everything from politics to um, our, even our own family. But we both love Mean Girls. So thank you for giving me that one thing I can connect with my brother over. Or, you know, just l- things like that. And I think that initially when... I started being an entertainer, it came from this place of, look what I could do, like, Stuart from Mad TV, but now it's at this place of, like, 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 look at what it's done, you know, so it's, like, I, I look for roles, and I look for things that are important, that are impactful, and I'd rather do my stand-up and walk around and make everybody just giggle about my mom and, like, not think about anything, I don't talk about politics, I don't even talk about even gay rights, and I'm, a, I'm an activist, I'm constantly fighting for rights of people with HIV AIDS or, or, or LGBTQ homeless youth or just any queer rights in general, like, and, and I'm active in both Washington and on my social media and in my interviews and stuff. But when it comes to me performing, let's all forget that for a second. Let's just all sit and giggle together about stupid shit. And it brings so much joy to me. And I made more money doing stand-up than I ever have done doing acting. And so, you know, I haven't made a movie in many years because and it's not it's not because people haven't wanted me or because i haven't had opportunity i think it's because like the next movie i make has to be impactful has to be something that or something where like you don't even know it's me and you're like who is that and it's like i just want something that that's part of the reason i'm enjoying italian mom it's because i'm like literally there's people who are fans of italian mom that i think still haven't put together that i'm damian and love me girls you know wow. I and, and I think that that's part of my act. something And people, same thing when I spit in your grave. Like, people don't even realize it's me. And I think that that's one of the things I really love about acting. Because I think one of the things that was a big draw for me as a young man to pursue this was the fact that I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So I was trying on other people's. And I think that it's gotten to this point where, like, I, li- I love being other people and telling other stories and trying to develop something you know I've never been the actor that's like I hate this line I'm not going to say this I've always been like I hate this line so it's not me saying it it's this character and I'll frame my whole character off of the thing that I don't feel comfortable saying and I think that it's just like a fun way to just be an artist and I just really I I enjoy what I do I wish I got to do it more but you know I'm not I'm just going to do it just because I want to I'm going to do the things I want to do
0: and you're writing a script now, but actually, for the people, I have several
1: networks. things going on right now. Yeah, but one of the ideas that I have, like on, on my desk, is this idea for all of us to get back together again. Because I definitely, I don't want to promise it because it's like nowhere near finished. But I'm, I, I think that within a year I could pitch it, and you know, um, it'll be fun. You know, we're approaching the 20th anniversary. What a great time to start something like that.
0: Well, you should just start with Tina Fey, I would think.
1: Well, um, uh, yeah. Um, I haven't talked to Tina in a really long time. So I would like to talk to her. She can, you know, (laughs) that'd be nice.
0: I, I agree. I think, especially for like 20th anniversary, people will, I mean, this movie, just like you said, it brings so much joy to so many people still so many years later.
1: Well, the fact that, you know, like Assad told me that it made him feel like he didn't have to, like, that suicide wasn't the only option. Like, for some of these people, like, I I just I needed that I needed that so badly like I think about what if like my first project starred Drew Barrymore someone who's like so like gay friendly and like what would my life like have been like instead of meeting homophobic uh things or you know what would it have been like if um if when I did damn Yankees I fell in love with a chorus boy like that like who knows like something like that could have changed my whole trajectory of life you know and The things that were keeping me from doing those things were me feeling crazy about who I was in my body. And so my career is about normalizing my body for other people so they could have permission to do so for themselves and about finding ways to make myself be seen so other people can feel seen. And it's, you know, it's really cool. I'll take, uh, and I'll say this out loud, I don't even care, but I'll take almost any role in a decent movie that sexualizes me that's something that's so interesting to me because I think that that that's needed out there and I think that I've moved the dad bod- <laughs> like like meter a little bit in the gay community I don't even still know in the gay community lots of times they've shown someone like me uh having sex like I did on looking you know and I and I got a fan mail there this is great this is hysterical this guy wrote me and he goes don't get it twisted this is a fan letter He's like, but I saw Mean Girls like 10 years ago and I don't really remember you in it. He's like, and I have no idea what an Eddie Bear is. That was my role I'm looking. <laughs> he's like, but he's like, this is a fan letter because I was on the dance floor at a party and this guy who's way out of my league walked up to me about three months ago and said, you're my Eddie Bear, come with me. And we've been dating ever since. And I don't know what the fuck you're doing, man, but keep doing it because it's working. And I mean, wow, what else could you ask for?
0: What else could you ask for? And that's really my final question as we wrap up. Like, do you think we're, we've come far, you know, in not just right, like body type, you look at like Pose, Ryan Murphy, like where do you think we are in Hollywood that, I mean, we have
1: out. I mean, look, I'm, people say that I'm a gay icon or that I like, but why am I not working? Do you know, I'm auditioning constantly. Like there's still, I mean, I'm a person who is, famous from this really big movie maybe one of the biggest teen movies of all time and i'm i've proven myself and my acting but i'm still not working there's still not roles for me it's still not it's still not happening in a way that it needs to be happening you know and um when there are roles it, the same five guys are all fighting over it you know and i'm like you guys do it i'll go do my tour so to me like i, I i'm waiting for i guess the generation I've influenced to come of age. And I think we're here right now. It's going to happen. There's going to be a young Quentin Tarantino or like a young Ryan Murphy or somebody who was born into a world where Mean Girls was and knows my gifts and has been influenced by me and people like me to find guys like me attractive and, and put them in leading male roles. You don't have to be anybody. I want to see different body types in leading male roles straight and gay. I want to see everyone start flipping the script, you know, like, and, 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 and doing things more creatively cast, like the way theater has been doing for centuries. And I just think that we need to catch up with it. Everyone knows it's a movie.
0: I kind of feel the same way. Look, we've come far, but you know, then you look at like the big, you know, blockbuster, like action films, like the big blockbuster movies. You're like, where are the characters really that are so Yeah. Like, um,
1: like, there's no place for me in the Marvel universe, like nowhere, like, you know, like there's no, like, I mean, I haven't even had audition for that. There's just nothing that exists that they think um, I might be right for, you know, and I, that's what I think is kind of weird. I'd like to be working. So um, if you ask me if I think Hollywood's changed, I'd say not that much. I'm still trying to fight for a piece of the pie, you know, uh, but I think that it's going to come down to me creating my own stuff, which is what everyone's told me since I'm 20 but i didn't know how to do yet or 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 thought that i might have it, it not be that or whatever but the more i see the stuff that other people are creating the more i do want to create my own things because that's there is no one's going to make an italian mom play and then have an audition and then cast me the probability of that is forget it i probably could do something everything all is one hot dog finger moment like with the probability of someone creating a play like that for me you yes. know so it's kind of like you know, if it, and, and it actually had to happen that way. Like Jacques had to be like, hey, let's do this. Because sometimes I don't even see uh, my own abilities because other people don't see them.
0: Well, you're starting with Italian Mom, which is a great place to start. And I didn't even know Italian Mom did Cameo. So let's just throw that out there, too. So <laughs> That's like a whole new thing because I had no idea. Where can everyone find you online? And is there anything else you want to cover that I didn't bring up? I like to give people a chance at the end. Your podcast is great. You can talk about and plug anything you want. Thank you for answering all Uh, my questions. Honestly,
1: I definitely think that it's a great time to check out my podcast, Yash Jesus, at Yash Jesus Pod um, on Instagram or yashjesuspod.com because we are on hiatus for the summer, but it's the best of. So out of our hundreds of episodes, like you're going to get like the best of the best if you're listening in on- some of the most informing or uh, funny or irreverent shows.
0: I love that. And Italian Mom, August. Do you want to wear cover Yeah, it's going to be August.
1: Uh, Italian Mom Loves You. It's going to be the world premiere at the Seven Angels Theater in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, there's going to be shows from August 12th to the 21st. Um, it will probably end up in New York, Florida, and L.A. fairly soon after that. But other markets, not as soon. So if you're anywhere near there... And um, I would try to check it out. Um, they're selling fast and it's gonna really, be really fun.
0: And for everyone who hasn't, I mean, your Italian mom is hilarious for everyone listening yeah, to
1: that- You can um, follow me on uh YouTube at uh my 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 tube, um, or you can find me anywhere else online at What's up, Danny.
0: I love it. Well, after this live show, you'll have to come back. I could have talked to you for like five more hours. The more you talk, the more I'm like, I have so much more to say. I could talk about Hollywood and the concept of fame and how it works for like seven hours alone. So I know. I totally appreciate your time too. Yeah, this is really great. And I had a good time. Me too. Definitely keep in touch and you'll definitely come back. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.